for the next uh, four weeks leading up into Easter. How many of you know Easter's coming up? Amen. Getting the Easter dresses for the girls and the Easter bow ties for the boys and the eggs and the chocolate and all that fun stuff. But we're going to talk about the real meaning of Easter. Y'all still know why we celebrate Easter, right? I'm just going to get rid of the word Easter for the next four weeks. We're going to call it Resurrection Sunday because that's what it's all about. Our King, our Savior, our Lord, he died, but he rose again to empower us in his kingdom. Amen. And so for the next four weeks, I'm going to be uh, teaching, and, I, and I'm highly emphasizing teaching. Um, I know that I can come in here and we can preach a little bit and get fired up. Um, and this, is, this will get you fired up, but the revelation that I need to communicate and, and, and the subject matter and the content um, uh, will change your life. It will absolutely change your life if you get a hold of this subject, get a hold of this word. Go to Mark chapter 2 for me. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And, and the other reason why I bring up the Version app, and we still use our... TVs. I'll do my little Vanna White impression up here and point you to the TVs uh, because I'll be referencing some of these in a different translation um, a few times. And again, in the Version app, they'll all be laid out exactly how I'm teaching it. My points are in there. Um, and that actually stays out there the whole week, all the way up until Saturday. So you've got seven days to review this content and look at it, listen to the message again, go online, pull it up in the app and follow along. But Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, just to give you a little background, Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law. These are the religious leaders. These are the churchgoers, church people, okay? These are, uh, you know, we obviously don't have Christians at this time. Jesus has not died on the cross, risen again. We don't have born-again believers, but these are men of God that have given themselves to the existing word of God, which is the Old Testament, uh, and they follow it religiously, legalistically. And so Jesus is speaking to them, and he makes this statement in verse 22. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. New wine calls for new wineskins. And the title of my message today is The Old is New. The Old is New. See, there's nothing new with God. You you realize that, right? He he can never feel surprised. He he can never be like, oh, wow. Jesus, or, or God never says, I didn't know that, or that's new news to me. I mean, there's no such thing as new to God. It's always existed. He knew the end from the beginning. And Jesus showed up, and he came bringing a message, came bringing a word that might be contrary to what you have believed or what you thought. And and, and so I want to encourage you today to don't put the new wine in old wineskins. This is the way that I interpret it. This This is how I receive it. Change the filter. Change the filter. Some of you in this room, you've been following God almost all your life. You've, you've been in church or around church or had some kind of concept or idea of church. 
and, and, and so it can be real easy to hear a message preached every week, every Sunday, every Wednesday in life class, or every time you read the, and put it through your own filter of how you see it. See, you have to understand that in life there's a picture and then there's a lens. There's a picture. The picture is what it actually is. And then there's a lens, how I perceive it. Everything in life is how you uh, uh, interpret something is dependent on how you receive it or perceive it. It's how I use the lens. I mean, some of you have eyeglasses on in here. I wear glasses, but I wear contacts so you don't ever have to see me in my horrible, ugly, disgusting glasses. Uh, and, and, and that's me. Some people look good in glasses. My wife, I think she looks good in glasses. I wish she wore them more often. She just has to wear them to drive. But I don't like glasses, so I quickly switched over. I got rid of the four eyes uh, uh, comments uh, early on, and I went to contact lenses. But I have to wear these lenses because if I don't wear the lens, I can't see the picture correctly. I don't see it properly. I don't see it completely. There's missing content. And then when the lens comes on, all of a sudden there's a, oh. Ever, anyone ever had that kind of, maybe in a movie, that you're watching a movie and then it gets towards the end and you're like, oh, that's, that's why he did that. That's why she said that. That's why this took, you have that, oh, I see. Everyone, come on, do it with me. Go, oh, I see. There we go. We're getting clarity. I remember going to the eye doctor and, 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 you know, doing the little whatever it's called. The optometrist puts that little thing in front of your face and he's switching it A or B. All right, now which one's better, B or C? Back to B, then C. One or two? And then sometimes it gets so close that you just pick one. Ah, two, two, man. Great, I've just messed up how I read every street sign for the rest of my life because I just, I just, it's close, man. I, I don't know. I'm, you know, playing eeny, meeny, paper, rock, scissors here, you know, figure one out, which one works. And so, and, and, and so it's important that we get clarity. And, and, and Jesus is speaking to Pharisees that have become legalistic in their approach to the Word of God. They, they, they have the Scripture. They uh, I was talking, I think it was Chuck, just a few weeks ago, and he was coming up to me, and everyone's had this thought, so no condemnation on Chuck. You've had the thought whether you want to admit it or not. You've read through Leviticus and said, why is this book in here? This is ridiculous. I, I am not getting anything out of this. Cut this up 12 times in 12 pieces, and, and you got to go to the, you know, it's just ridiculous. Pour this salt on this and this grain on that, and... And all they're doing is burning stuff and cutting stuff and killing stuff. And I mean, church was a messy business in the Old Testament. If it was anything like that, we'd be, there'd be a big altar right here, and you'd be bringing in your lambs and your goats, and we'd be cutting their throats, pouring blood out everywhere, burning stuff, burning live flesh, and, and it'd be a mess. Anybody thankful you don't have to come to that? I'm, I'm glad we don't. You guys wouldn't come. I wouldn't. And I'm the pastor. I wouldn't even come to that kind of church. Pick a different church. And, and, and so I was talking with them, and I said, look, Leviticus is there for one reason. It's so that you recognize what you've been delivered from. If it wasn't for that book being in there, I wouldn't, re- I wouldn't have no idea 
what I don't have to put up with anymore because the blood of Jesus covered the whole book. Amen. See, sometimes God has to show you what it was so you fully understand what you have. You fully appreciate. Anytime you think you're taking the blood of Jesus for granted, go read Leviticus because that could be your life. I say that jokingly, but I say that seriously because that's why it's there. That's why it's there, to remind me that I'm not bound by that law. Jesus uh, didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. And every item, everything listed, he completed it on the cross. And because his blood was shed, I can come to him boldly and freely to the throne of grace, confident that he hears me when I pray. I don't have to kill stuff, chop it up, bring it down. I can just say, Lord Jesus, I repent. I forgive me, cleanse me. So much easier. But these, these men, these Pharisees, Sadducees, they became legalistic in their approach. Do this, do that. It's, the, the, the Bible became a big to-do list. And, and so Jesus came in and said, if you interpret everything that I say, see, he was just dealing with fasting here. How, you know, when should we fast? How come your men don't fast? Look at us, we're fasting and praying. We're abiding by the law. And he says, you don't have to fast, I'm here. I'm Jesus. Right after this passage, they have an issue with the Sabbath. His disciples were picking some type of grain and eating it. You're not supposed to eat that type of food on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus makes a very profound statement, which is why they wanted to kill him. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. See, up until then, God, he's the only one that could determine what the Sabbath is and does and what you do on the Sabbath. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, guys, hey, boys, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about doing this or doing that. It's about living for me. You make me Lord, and that answers all your problems. And so he's helping them, trying to help them see, trying to help them see that you've got to change the filter. You've got, to, you've got to change the lens. The picture never changed. What, what God put in place in Genesis chapter 1 has been his game plan all along. And, and, and so in this series, Kingdom Come, Kingdom Come, I want to talk to you on the subject of the kingdom of God. Because it is the lens that this entire Bible was written in. And most of us don't know it, don't understand it, and don't appreciate its value. But until you understand the kingdom and how the kingdom of God operates, you won't fully understand this. You won't fully understand this. The kingdom is everything this Bible is about. The Bible is not a book about a religion, not a book about Christianity, it's not a book about you know, how to live a good life. The Bible is about a king, his kingdom, and his children, his royal children, you and I. We are kings and queens. God is a king. Look at Romans chapter 12. I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey here so that we can fully understand uh, how to perceive the word properly and, and, and how to receive the word properly. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul makes this statement. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, you, you don't have to make the sacrifice anymore. You now become the living sacrifice. That means I'm constantly sacrificing something. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now watch this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everyone say renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove is actually translated allow. That you will allow the perfect will of God. Last week we talked about purpose. And and, and I had no idea I was going in this direction this weekend. But that's what we're going to be talking about is God's purpose or God's original intent. His original design. And if you want to allow his purpose and his will, his good, acceptable, and perfect will in your life, you have to transform your life by changing your thinking. The way you think is the way you live. The key to changing your life is changing your mind. If you don't think it, you won't live it. Very simple, very very simple process. So the first thing we've got to understand is if you never change the way you see it, then you will never see God's intended interpretation. If you never change the way you see it, then you'll never see what God sees. And then the second thing is it's difficult to see heavenly concepts when we're surrounded by earthly concerns. He says if you don't transform your life by renewing your mind, you'll conform to the world. The world, everything we live in, everything we see, everything that is around us will fight you from seeing God's word accurately. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Again, just just write it down. They're going to throw it up there for you. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 in the New Living says this. Since you've been raised to new life, everyone say new life. That means I've got to see, if I want a new life, I've got to get a new mind. You've been raised to new life with Christ. Then set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. So if I'm going to be raised to new life, then I've got to get a new mindset, he says. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Set your mind on on things above, not on things below. Set your mind, set your mind, set your mind. Because he can raise you to new life on the inside and you never experience anything but the old life on the outside because we didn't change our mind. It's our responsibility. Look what he says. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. It's difficult to see heavenly concepts when you're surrounded by earthly concerns. It's difficult to understand this word when we don't shut ourselves off from the things around us and grab hold of the new thing within us. So I know everyone's thinking, Pastor Mark, 
but I live in the world. I have a normal job. I, 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 I have a family. I'm surrounded by people don't, that don't talk like the Bible and think like. Anybody work with those kind of people? Just, just curious. They don't talk like you. They may use terminology and adjectives that you don't you know, usually use, right? Okay. So we're not surrounded by people that are reinforcing this with, within us, right? Uh, all we see around us is lack and decay and, and, and dishonesty. And, 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 and if you don't believe that, then just watch a debate or two. And you'll see the decline of human nature before your very eyes. Sometimes I feel like other countries are laughing at us. It's amazing. This is the best we got? Really? Come on. Okay. I'm not going to get on that rant today. I did that the last two Sundays. We're going a different direction. We're going a different way. So it's difficult to see heavenly. It's difficult to grab this. So, Pastor Mark, I'm surrounded by everything that's contrary to what you're preaching on Sunday. I'm surrounded by, by, uh, uh, by, by something that fights everything you show me in the Word. So let me show you the key. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul cared about church. He cared about the church. And, and, and he cared about the churches that he planted. The churches that he, he built up and put in place. And he prayed for them. I pray for you guys. I pray. Many of you I call by name. I pray for this church. This is my responsibility. This is what God has called me to. This is like 5% of what I, it used to be 10%, but I'm beginning to realize it's even smaller than that. We're down to 5%. This hour window right here is like 5% of what I do for the church. And, and, And so Paul cared about the church. And in verse 15, he says this, Therefore, I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. See, he's praying for them. What's he praying? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding, eyes, this is how we perceive, this is how we see, and your eyes are determined by your lens. What you see with your eyes is determined by the lens that you wear. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of this calling. I'm tired of Christians coming to you saying, I just want to know, I don't know, I don't know. He wants you to know what is the hope. Of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. I want to bump back up to verse 17. Go back to verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
I'm going slow on purpose. Got to digest it. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We miss what is spiritually in here because we try to understand it naturally. And he says, you need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit. Today in the church, the reason why the church is so confused and so lost is because we've kicked the very one out that makes the scripture known to us. The Holy Spirit is almost like a cuss word in some churches. He's, he's, he's not even welcome. And you've got to realize you don't even have church without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm excited you guys are here. But I'm sure excited the Holy Spirit showed up today. Because it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation that opens this up. How do I live in a world that's contrary to this and still perceive the scripture taught by the Holy Spirit? So, Father, I thank you this morning that your Holy Spirit is with us and evident in this place. I thank you that we have eyes to see and ears to hear that which is spoken today. Father, I thank you that we allow the lens, the spiritual lens, to help us see the Word of God for what it is in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Our understanding of Scripture is vital to its application. If you're going to live any of this, if you're going to do any of this, you have to understand it. So let me just show you real quick what we've looked at. Let me give you a quick review. Everyone likes reviews, right? Let's look at a quick review. We started with perception. Your perception determines your interpretation. How I interpret this is determined by how I perceive it. If I don't have on the right lens, I won't be able to interpret it accurately. I'm going to tell you right now, God was a lot smarter than to leave his word up to man's interpretation. I think they said we have over 5,000 denominations just in Christianity alone. That means that uh, uh, people have found 5,000 different ways to read one book. Essentially what that tells me. But he's much smarter than that. He's given us his spirit, the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And now my interpretation leads to my understanding. Now look, you can understand it based upon your interpretation, but that's why we need to have the right perception. But now my understanding is determined by my interpretation, and what I understand I can now apply. If I don't understand it, I can't apply it. Uh, just take you real quick, Matthew chapter 13, parable of the sower. You can just jot it down, parable of the sower. There were four different types of soil that the seed fell on. The seed is the word of God, and the one that was fruitful... 30, 60, and 100 fold was the one that understood it and was able to apply it. The other three were unfruitful for their lack of understanding. I can get up here and I can give you the most spiritual little regimen and, and, and just turn this into a Bible seminary in two seconds and you'll walk out of here with no understanding, therefore no application. 
my job is not successful and this church's job is not successful unless you can walk out of there, out those doors better equipped, better strengthened, and better encouraged to live the life that God's called you to live. I don't care if you can use the terminology and spell it out forwards and backwards. I don't care if you know every spiritual verse in the Bible. If you can't live any of it, you're of no kingdom use. You end up with a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees that knew it all and did nothing. And that was Jesus' problem. Of all the things that Jesus had control over and power over, I mean, he, he, he stopped storms and he raised the dead and he, uh, 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 lame men were walking, deaf people were hearing, blind men were seeing, uh, 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 casting out demons. But the one thing he could not control in his entire ministry was the mind. God can't force you to think differently. So you have to perceive, interpret, understand. Then we can apply. And the reason why I'm given this little prequel, so to speak, is because the subject matter of the kingdom is the very message that Matthew chapter 13 tells me. That it's the message, the gospel of the kingdom, that the enemy's coming to steal. The second I preach this message, the devil's coming to your mind and coming to your heart to steal away what I'm about to minister. Jesus gets specific. He says it's the gospel of the kingdom. The devil's not after every gospel. There's, there's some churches that the devil doesn't care what they're preaching. But I can tell you he cares what we're preaching. And he cares what I'm about to minister. And you've got to receive it perceive it with the right lens. And when we get this lens, you'll see this entire book differently. When I first saw this message back in 2009, it literally transformed. It took me six months just to digest it. See, you can drink a, a milkshake, but you got to chew up some steak. Thing that's got Something that's got real content is going to really do something for you. you got to chew it up, man. You can't swallow that stuff whole. you got to chew it up. you got to digest it. you got to let, take in the juices, and you've and you got to taste it, and it's flavorful. I would rather have a steak than a milkshake for dinner. There, there are milkshakes that you can get real quick, uh, and, and it's a supplement, but you are not meant to live off of that stuff. And if you want anything worth living off of, you're going to have to want to digest it and chew it up. And, man, when I first heard this, it took me six months just to chew it up until someone showed me that verse in Mark chapter 2, and I realized that the whole problem was my lens. The whole problem was my filter. I was trying to take the message of the kingdom and filter it through all the stuff. And I've been raised in church, so I was the worst candidate. The ones that easily received Jesus' message, they didn't know nothing about God. They didn't know nothing about that. The Pharisees were the ones that you had to break their stuff down just so you could build something on top of it. Lay a new foundation. And so we want to lay a foundation. I want to lay a new foundation. Um, but it, it, it may be contrary to some stuff you've heard. It may be different than, to, than some things that you have seen before. So I pray that we have eyes to see and ears, ears to hear. An idea, an idea always begins in the mind of the Creator. Uh, anything that you see, the, the chairs you're sitting on, began as an idea, as an idea in somebody's head. 
Somebody had an idea. I'm tired of standing all the time. Right? So I need something to sit on. And, and sitting, the ground is too far down. So I need something that's closer to maybe about a foot and a half off the ground. Uh, that, that, that is perfect squatting position. This, this is a good space, but I can't do this forever. So I need something up under me that's going to hold me up so that I can be comfortable and relaxed like you guys are. Now, hopefully not too relaxed. And so the idea is always here in the mind. So if, if you want to know what God's creation is supposed to do and, and how it's supposed to op- operate, you've got to go to the creator. You've got to go to the one who created it. You've got to go to the one who put it all in motion from the beginning. What was God up to in Genesis chapter 1? He's creating stars. He's creating moons. He's creating firmament, whatever that is. He's creating land. He's creating seas. He's creating sky. He's creating uh, uh, animals. He's creating trees. And then he creates you and I. What's this creation stuff all about? In uh, Psalms chapter 24... Psalms chapter 24 and verse 1 uh, in the New Living, it says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. It belongs to him by right of creation. He created it, so he owns it. God's the owner. God is the owner. If he owns all of it, that means you and I own none of it. We own none of it. Verse 2, he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Because he created it, he owns it. Because he created it, he owns it. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. uh, I think you've got verse 18. Is that correct? For the Lord is God and he created the heavens and earth, put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not only to be or not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says. There is no other. God created everything that we see. We could go to Colossians chapter 1 and we learn that everything that is seen and everything that's not seen was created by God himself through Jesus, through the word. And so we go to Genesis chapter 1 and we see that he's creating the earth. And, 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 and the Garden of Eden and the earth at that time, before Genesis chapter 3, everything is what you and I would call perfect. I, I like to put it this way. God created the earth to look and operate like heaven. Let me tell you why. Let me help you get the concept now. This is the lens that you've got to see it through. God is a king. Does everyone agree with me? God is a king, okay? Uh, you and I don't know a whole lot about kings uh, because we live in a democracy, a, a, a democratic republic, um, and, and, and kingdoms operate differently than our nation does. King, kingdoms, the way God designed it was that I'm king, I'm sovereign, and whatever I say goes. Ecclesiastes tells us where the word of the king is, there is power. So whatever I say happens. That's why he could speak and things took place. He spoke and the stars were aligned. He spoke and the sun and the moon were in place. And one did day and one did night. He spoke and there were animals. He spoke and by speaking he's putting it. That's how powerful his word is. He's a king. 
Now, kings have to have two things. You cannot be a king if you don't have, number one, authority. If you don't have any authority, then, then what are you king or ruler over? And the second thing is a domain or a territory. So I can have authority, but only in certain territories. See, I have authority over this building. I can come and go as I please. I can turn the air on whenever I want to turn it on. I can turn the lights on whenever I want. I can turn them off whenever I want. But I don't have authority over that front one yet. You hooking up with me there? Okay. Yet. And I'm believing one day we get the key to that, and we just get a big old sanctuary up in there and put out about three or 400 seats and just pack this thing out and just have a good time. Amen? Uh, but I don't have authority, so I, I can't come and, and go as I please there. That's not my domain. So if something happens there, I'm not responsible for it. If something happens here, I'm responsible for it. They're going to call me. They're going to come find me. Hey, somebody just broke a window in, blah, 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 you know, whatever. It just burned down, whatever. They're going to call me. I've got authority in this area. I don't have authority there. Don't call me about that building right now unless you're going to give me authority. You can give me that phone call. But don't, don't tell me that something's falling apart over there. It's not my territory. It's not my domain. I don't have any authority over that. So God is a king, and a, as king, he rules in heaven. Heaven. Heaven has always existed because God has always existed. Where he lives, he's always been. Okay? You following me? So kings love that their, their authority and their power is represented by those two things, authority and dominion or domain, territory. So as a king, if I want to increase or grow, I'm going to have to expand my territory and I'm going to have to gain authority. Did you see, see what I just did there? Uh, uh, the, the Roman Empire was very good at this. They would expand uh, their territory and then gain control over those provinces. And that's actually what happened when Jesus showed up. The, the Romans had just moved in and taken over. It was Jewish land. That was Jewish territory. But their, their empire was growing and, and spreading. And those emperors, the way that they gain power is by gaining more territory. So God, and see, they're not being like God. God is being, or God's not being like them. They're being like God. That was placed in man because you and I were created in his image. We always have this desire to expand and grow and to have more. That was God. He was in heaven and he said, you know what? I want to extend my rule. I want to extend my kingdom from heaven and I want to create a seen realm that is just like this unseen realm. I want to expand my territory. And so he creates earth. He creates the world. That's Genesis chapter 1. He's created the earth. He's expanded and extended his kingdom from heaven to the earth. But watch what happens in Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let 
them have what? Everyone say it. Dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God has created the earth as an extension of heaven. And then he does this. I'm not going to rule over it. You're going to rule over it. The word dominion literally means to govern, to manage, to control, and to rule. The word dominion literally means to govern, to manage, to control, and to rule. Has anyone ever heard the word delegated authority or what that means to delegate? That means I'm transferring my power and, 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 and my ability to you. Some of you military uh, may be familiar with the term called power of attorney. If you deploy and you go out of the country, you're, you're distributing power of attorney to your spouse. I remember when my dad went to Afghanistan, uh, uh, my wife had to receive power of attorney for the house and paying bills and, and doing this and doing it. They couldn't go to my dad. He's halfway around the world. So she had to take on pow, uh, power of attorney or delegated authority over that. So now she rules it just like my dad would. And in this verse, God creates the earth. To look and operate like heaven. And then he creates you and I to look and operate like him. I'll say it again. He created the earth to look and operate like heaven. Again, don't, don't look at the world we're living in now. It's backwards. It's opposite. It's, it's twisted and perverted. I'm talking Genesis chapter 1. God created the earth. To look and operate like heaven. If it was God's will in heaven, it's God's will on the earth. If it takes place in heaven, it takes place in the earth. And then he creates man. After he puts all the creation in place where he wants it, he creates Adam and Eve, mankind, in his image and in his likeness. That's not talking about uh, uh, facial features and uh, same color hair and same color eyes. If that's the case, God is all kinds of weird stuff because we all came out looking different. It's not talking about physical characteristics. It's talking about abilities and function. He's talking about character. He's talking about how you, you think. God created you and I to think like him, talk like him, act like him, respond like him. Somebody just say amen. Okay, good. Because when you say amen, that means so be it. So you're, you're receiving that word and you're saying, yes, God, so be it. Yes, I'm created in your image. I have your power. I have your ability. I have your likeness. I have your function. I can operate just like you in this earth. That's Genesis 1.26, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That means put it under your authority. Have dominion, control, manage, rule, govern 
over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created the earth to look like heaven, and he created you to look like him. Adam and Eve didn't need to go to God to get anything done in the earth. He resourced them. He gave them everything they needed to accomplish whatever his task and whatever the assignment and whatever his will was. Psalms 115, verse 16. Just throw it up there real quick. Psalms 115, verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The earth he's given. Look at this in Psalms chapter 8, verse 3. I'm going to show it to you in the New King James. And then I'm going to show it to you in the New Living. The New King James says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. Those are capital Y's. That means that God uh, is doing that. What is man that you are mindful of him? David is saying. And the son of man that you... Why are we so important, he says. Look at verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory... In honor, verse 6, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You created it. I'm in charge of it. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He's owner. He owns it. He created it. But now he's delegated the authority over it. To you and I. Now, go back up to verse 4, I think it was. Verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. The angels. This is why interpretation is so important. Because when they translated this into English, they missed it. See, this Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Just give you a little history. I told you I'm teaching today. This ain't jump up and shout, Hebrew, yeah, woo! It's not that stuff. We're going we're gonna to teach line upon line. Written in Hebrew. That word angel is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim. When, when the translators were writing this verse down, They thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have made him, man, a little lower than God? Elohim in Hebrew means God. It's one of his names. They said, no, that that, that can't be. We'll, We'll put angels in there. That sounds better. But the New Living, the New Living Translation Yet you made them only a little lower than God. They got it right. New living versus old dead. I'm going to go with the new living. They made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. I'm reading from the Bible, guys. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the lens you need to have. God created you. To look, act, respond, talk, feel, think, just like him. Just like him. 
Again, nothing in the earth tells you. That's why you've got to set your mind. I've got new life. I got new life. How come I don't feel like I'm living a new life? Because I'm not thinking a new life. He created Adam and Eve just a little lower than himself. I'm telling you right now, if we had to build a hierarchy chart, angels, angels, do what you say, not the other way around. Come on. Angels don't tell you what to do. You tell them what to do. You tell them to go get stuff for you. You tell them to pray. Anybody ever prayed for angels to guard and protect your children, guard and protect your vehicle on a vacation? Man, I tell you what, my mom, she could plead the blood left and right. Dude, we didn't go nowhere. We didn't go to the grocery store without pleading the blood. Had anointing oil in the, in the uh, console. Walking around all four tires. Telling angels to protect my car. Protect my family. Protect my house. De- de- protect my deployed airmen while they're overseas. Angels do what I tell them to do. Because I have authority. I'm in charge. You obey an angel because they're a messenger of God. But angels are sent to work for you. To do your bidding. So you're not a little lower than the angels. There's not a a, a hierarchy chart posted in the break room that says, okay, here's God, and then here's angels, and then here's you. It's you are underneath God, and you are the authority of God in the earth. God, from, from, from verse 26 on, never intended to do another work in the earth without using man. Let me, just, let me just go ahead and blow your minds open right now with this statement. If God would have created Adam and Eve on any day sooner than day uh, six, he would have finished creation. Who names the animals? Oh, I've I got to get Adam to do that now. Who's tending and keeping the garden? Oh, Adam's going to have to do that. Adam and Eve, that's your job now. That's your domain. That's your territory. Well, God, uh, uh, my AC's broke. I don't have anything over that domain. That's your territory. That's like them calling me about that building. I don't, I don't have any authority over that building. God is looking back down and saying, then do something about it. God, my country is going to hell in a handbasket. Just take me to heaven, please. No, you're there to change it. That's why you pray and give thanks for your leaders. God, I hope we get the right man elected into office. Then do something about it. Go pray about it. Get clarity on who we need in office and then go vote. We we leave things up to God that he's already handed off to us. You and I are in charge. I can't go up into David's house. And say, hey, David, you need to set the thermostat on this. And you need to move this table over here. That, that doesn't look good. That's his domain. That's his house. He does that. You don't want them coming up into your house doing that. But yet that's what we expect God's going to do. He's going to come busting in the door. All right, where is it? No. He has handed off the dominion and the authority to you and I. Amen?
Are we there? Do we have say law on that one? And we're going to move on. God did not establish, watch this, a religion. You don't see anything in here about Christianity in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. God did not establish, uh, what was my other point? Well, that was it, religion and Christianity. He didn't establish religion. He didn't establish Christianity. And look, guys, think about this. Adam and Eve were never in heaven. So why are we working so hard to get back there? They were never there in the first place. Now, before you leave and walk out and and post something bad on Facebook, I'm not saying we're not going to heaven. Right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying what's the motive? You were designed and built and created for the earth. Let's just talk about domain and territory again. You realize if you go to heaven, you have no authority there. If you want to operate in in dominion and authority and control, if you want to manage and govern and rule, you have to do that here. They've already got somebody there that does that. He's seated on the throne. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He calls the shots there. Now, God did not establish religion, did not establish Christianity. He actually established probably the one word you don't want to hear right now. He established a government called a kingdom. God's answer for the world today is government. Not our government. Not any government. Of this world. That's why he told Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He said don't worry about it. They want a king. They just want to look like everybody else. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being their king. He established a government system. See if you think God established Christianity. Then you think Jesus came back to reestablish Christianity. If you think God established a religion. Um, or a belief system, then you think that Jesus came back to reestablish a religion or a belief system. But God established a government, therefore Jesus showed up to replace, uh, uh, to reestablish a government. That's next week's message. I'm not going to get into to Jesus yet. I'm going to show you, or I'm showing you in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what I like to call God's original intent. See, you and I, we, we, we have this thought uh, that, that God changes his mind or has a plan B. But he doesn't. Anybody ever had a plan B? Anybody ever had something break and then you changed your mind and said, ah, forget it, I'll do something else? Maybe a relationship, maybe a job. Uh, 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 maybe a car. Pfft, ain't getting no stinking Dodge again. I'm going with, with Chevy. Forget Dodge. I tried the Dodge. It didn't work. See, God doesn't work that way. That's how you and I think. And, 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 and God says, if it breaks, I'll fix it. 
We say, if it breaks, I'll replace it. So when Genesis 3 shows up, and, and I'm not going to read it for time's sake. You know what happens. Uh, 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 the serpent shows up. Isn't it interesting that God's creating a perfect universe? I mean, if I had the opportunity to create a perfect universe, I would remove evil. be the first thing I would do. He creates a perfect world, and there's already evil in it. See, we think we need evil out so we can do good. And God's saying, no, you can do good in the midst of evil. And so the snake shows up, and he attacks the very thing that God told Adam and Eve, do not eat of the fruit of this tree, lest you will surely die. Why? Because true love is always tested. True obedience is always tested. How do I know you really want to obey me if, if you have no other option? How do I know that you really love me? We're the only two people on the face of the planet. But when you've got options and you've got another way you go, now you now it, it, it's easy to determine, okay, they love me because they're choosing, they're deciding to, to love me. And, and, and so he gives them a marker. The, the boundary wasn't to restrain them. The, the boundary was there to open them up. The blessing is within the boundary. The blessing's in the box. You stay in the garden, and you enjoy all the blessing there is. Obedience. God has always only wanted one thing from you and I. Obedience. That's the only thing he's ever wanted. I thought God created me to worship him. Worship is obedience. Because you can't submit to, you can't worship what you're not submitted to. Lord, I, I, I worship you, I praise you, I need you to go give $10 to that person. Oh, Lord, I, I just, I call out your name, you're, exalt you. I exalt. No, you're not even in obedience, man. You're worshiping on the outside, and you're out of submission on the inside. God didn't create you and I because he was lonely. God didn't create you and I because he was bored and wanted something to do. God didn't create you and I uh, because he didn't have anybody to talk to. He created you and I to rule and govern and control the earth that he created, this world. And so this snake shows up, and this is why the snake attacked Adam and Eve. Watch this. When he was in heaven, who did he try to overthrow? God. And so now he gets kicked out, cast down to earth, and he sees Adam and Eve walking around, and he goes, wait a minute. That looks just like... In his image, in his likeness, well, that looks familiar. If I can overthrow them, that's the same thing. That's how closely. See, Satan knows more about who you really are than some of you do, than some of us do. We're still trying to figure it out. He's already got it all figured out. If they, if they ever figure out who they are, I won't stand a chance. Watch this. God gave Adam and Eve everything they needed to defeat the snake. They didn't need a shovel. They didn't need a backhoe. They didn't need a gun. Anybody ever shot a snake with a gun? I'm sure some of y'all have. They didn't need that. They had every resource they needed to overcome in that moment of temptation. Obey God's Now, 
Man's placed in authority. Man's placed in control. Adam and Eve can't go to God and say, hey, can you get rid of this snake? Adam and Eve can't go to God and say, hey, there's uh, somebody down here. And notice that God doesn't even warn them. Like, <laughs> you think you would at least have a conversation with Adam and say, now listen up. There's this guy up here. He was causing some trouble. Thought he'd going to overthrow me or something. And so I kicked him out, and he's down there with you now. But don't worry. If you just obey me, you're good. He doesn't even have that conversation, right? Because all he needs to know is, as long as they obey me, that snake has no authority. But they disobey. And this is the key. Because authority, all my military guys, they know this, authority doesn't work without submission. If you, if you can't follow chain of command, if you can't follow rank and order, if you can't obey the one above you, you don't have any authority on the ones below you. Your authority is tied to your level of submission. If you want to regain authority in your life, you're going to have to submit to God's word in your life. If you want to start talking to your finances, if you want to start talking to your home, if you want to start talking to your marriage, if you want to start talking to your job, if you want to start commanding favor, you better start finding the areas that we're not in submission with because until we get that aligned, nothing's listening to us if we're not listening to God. And the second they came out of submission with their God, their king, they handed over. That's right, handed over. The devil did not steal authority. He was given it on a silver platter. Here you go, Mr. Snake. Here's the authority over all the earth. And the kingdom fell into God's enemies' hands. And now the very thing that God hates got inside of the very thing God loves. Sin is now birthed inside of man. And out of that man, every one of us are born into sin. Because of one man's action. One man's action. Sin is born. Now we have a new God and ruler of the world. And death and decay... Destruction, turmoil, hate, anger, all of it is born into the earth. So now I want to ask you a very important question. Very important question. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, what would they be today? I mean, death is the result of sin, that, that separation and that death that came in. Stands to reason that heaven was never the goal. Adam and Eve weren't waiting for Jesus to come down and die on the cross. and They weren't waiting for the second return of Jesus to return and, and, and save them from the world and take them to heaven. So then where did this show up? Where did that mentality come into play? It's because you and I think God thinks like us. 
when we ought to be trying to think like him. My ways are higher than your ways. My, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God replaces what is broken. My wife is going to kill me because she's teaching, and she says I always go long when, I'm, I'm, when she's teaching. But you, you have to grab this. This is where we're closing. This is where we're ending. Adam and Eve weren't wandering around waiting to get to heaven. God, when are you sending your son? When are we going to heaven? When are we getting... They didn't fall from heaven. They fell from dominion. They didn't fall from heaven. They fell from dominion. If, if, if my Bible is on this podium and it falls to the ground and I want to restore it. How many of you believe you're restored? Yeah, any believers restored? Okay. If I want to restore it, did I restore it? No. So if I want to restore the Bible, I have to place it back where it originally was. So if God restored us, why are we waiting to get to heaven? If God restores me, that means I'm placed back in authority over the earth once again. Romans chapter 5, closing here. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. New King James says this, For if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. So death came in because Adam sinned. And because he sinned, now sin is born in every single person except for Jesus all the way on down to you and I. By one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Reign. Reign. Because of what Adam did, I fell from dominion. Because of what Jesus did, I'm restored back. To dominion. Chase and Lisa, if y'all come. I'm restored back through Jesus what I lost in Adam. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. I'm here to tell you today that the message of the kingdom is not just hope and sit around and wait until you get to heaven. The message of the kingdom is you get to bring heaven back to earth once again. You get to reign in authority and dominion and control and manage and govern and rule once again through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Heaven is a byproduct of receiving Jesus and making Him Lord of your life. He's preparing a place for us. But I'm telling you, it's not just hang out 
in the sweet by and by and just hope I can uh, uh, take it till I make it. Grin and bear it. Pack the suitcase and sit in the terminal and wait for Jesus to arrive. He said, occupy till I come. Do business till I come. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. There's a church on the rise. This message is needed today. This message is needed today. If we needed the kingdom in a perfect world where everything was already in alignment, how much greater do we need the kingdom message today where everything is broken and in chaos and decaying around us? How much more do we need this? He came to restore. Jesus came to restore the kingdom. He came, and it's not a kingdom that we're waiting for. It's kingdom right now. I know that's cult talk. I know they want to categorize you and say they're thinking crazy, but just read your Bible. The enemy has tried to uh, hide this message because he knows the power of it. He knows the power of it. He knows greater the power of it than some Christians do. And I'm I'm not going to stand around and watch Christians walk and, 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 and struggle. And, and I know there's trials. I know there's tribulations. I know things are going to get worse before they get better. Yes. But you and I have an authority that we ought to be operating in. And we're going to start looking at that next week. When you look at the life of Jesus, there was nothing that controlled him. He was a picture of what you and I are supposed to be. He wasn't just an example of how to be nice and kind and forgiving and help old ladies across the street. He was an example of how to put the devil under your foot and take your authority back for the kingdom. So, Father, we thank you today. I thank you right now. Every person on the sound of my voice that this, this message did not just go in one ear and out the other. But it was heard with spiritual ears that can perceive and receive the Word of God. We give you the glory and praise. You created us for more. You created us for greatness. You created us to bring your kingdom to the earth. Father, we give you glory and praise for this this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.